G'day everyone, nice to have you here with us. If you could uh, keep your Bible open to Proverbs, that's going to be helpful for you. If you're not familiar uh, with the Bible project and the videos they make, I would encourage you to, um, to watch them. Uh, yeah, they're fantastic videos explaining different parts of the Bible. Um, they have a little three-part series, like we saw the first bit of there, on wisdom. So Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then Job. Um, and it's great. Anyway, we're going to get into Proverbs today and looking at Lady Wisdom. So join me in praying before we get into God's Word. Father, thank you that you speak, and we just ask that your Word um, would be brought to life for us tonight by your Spirit, and that we would live it out in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, thank you, firstly, for being here uh, on this Sunday. This is often a Sunday when people forget that it's Sunday, because every day feels like Sunday. Um, so thanks for being here. Um, thank you for not forgetting that it's Sunday. And um, you know, when I say forgetting that it's Sunday, I feel like that's, that's probably what a lot of people are thinking. Hopefully you've enjoyed your Christmas break and all of that kind of stuff that you've been doing. Um, Christmas, uh, in our family, our family has recently decided that, well, a few years ago we decided we're not going to do that buy a gift for everyone thing anymore. Uh, we'll do Secret Santa, um, which is where you just buy one gift for one person. And then a couple of years ago, we got sick of that, so we decided to do this thing that's called Steely Santa, or that's what we call it in our family. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept of Steely Santa, but everyone buys one gift, they all get wrapped, and then they all go into the middle, and one by one, you open the gifts, and, um, and when you, as you open the gifts, uh, you see what other people have, and you have the opportunity to steal the gift from somebody else. So eventually, everyone ends up with something uh, but not all gifts are created equal, as I'm sure you're well aware. So there's often a winner and a loser. And so it introduces this new competitive aspect to, uh, to Christmas, which I think is really interesting. But somebody wins on Christmas Day. You know, somebody gets the gift that everyone wanted, and somebody unfortunately gets the gift that no one wanted. Um, and I won't say that that was me on Sunday, uh, sorry, on Christmas, because the person who gave that gift is probably in the room. So um, I was very happy with what I got. Uh, but uh, somebody gets the gift, somebody wins, um, which is interesting. Anyway, the, the concept of winning, I think, is really applicable to Proverbs, because Proverbs is about, it's about winning, winning in life. That's what Proverbs is basically telling you about. It tells you how you can win in life. It's a book that gives you a bunch of sayings and expressions and ideas that teach you how to win in life. Uh, so it teaches you how to have a happy marriage, how to have a successful career, how to uh, win in, raising the way, in the way that you raise your children. It teaches you how to win in your education. It teaches you how to be a winsome friend or it teaches you how to make winsome friends or make friends that are good for you. Proverbs gives you the answers to all of those sorts of things. It's a book about winning. Uh, and in my experience of Proverbs, people either love it or they pass over it. Um, maybe some of you are people who love Proverbs, which is why you've made it here on the 29th of December. And some of you might be sitting there like, oh, if I had have known they were doing Proverbs, I probably wouldn't have showed up. Uh, because I think that it kind of polarizes people. People either they love Proverbs or they, don't, they, they, they feel like they want to pass over it. There's kind of two sorts of people. The people who love it tend to be practical people, and they love it because it's a very practical book. It, it, it's simple. All you have to do is read a sentence, and it tells you exactly what to do. It's straightforward, it's to the point, 
Uh, these are the sorts of people who would probably spend their summer break um, reading non-fiction books written by successful business people about how to be successful. So if you've been doing that for the last week or so of your life, you probably love Proverbs. Um, but then there's another kind of person, um, and these are the sorts of people who pass over Proverbs completely for exactly the same reasons that the other people love it. Because it's straightforward, and it's simple, and it gets straight to the point. Some people don't really like it. Um, there's no nuance. There's no subtlety. You don't have to kind of like work out the character's motivation in order to understand the complexity of the story or anything like that. It's just really straightforward. And for that reason, these people don't like it. Uh, these are the sorts of people that rather than reading non-fictions about successful people over Christmas time, these are the sorts of people that, that pick up novels that are like this thick um, and read six of them in the kind of two weeks they have off and then think really deeply about what this novel is telling them about the way the world works and all of those sorts of things. Um, they, they think that Proverbs is, it, doesn't, it lacks narrative, it lacks development, there's no character de development happening here. They think it's two-dimensional. Um, but I actually think that Proverbs is not two-dimensional. And I, I want to show you tonight that there's actually a story in Proverbs. There's a narrative that develops. It's actually quite a three-dimensional thing when you have a closer look at it. And the reason that I want to do that is because I've been asked to speak about Lady Wisdom. But I don't think you can understand anything about Lady Wisdom unless you see that there is a story that happens through the book of Proverbs. So I'm going to walk you through that story to begin with. And if you've got your Bible open there, flick back to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. My laptop has decided to update, so uh, <laughs> any visual aids that I've had, I might have had, uh, don't worry, there wasn't too many of them, but oh well. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So these are the Proverbs of a king. And then if you have a look at verse 8, it tells you who the Proverbs are for. Verse 8 says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction." So you might not have realized this before, but what we actually have in the Proverbs is we have a king speaking to his son and giving his son instruction. It's a king addressing a, pre, a prince and telling the priest, prince how the prince should live his life. This is where I would show you a picture of Mufasa next to Simba. And that's actually the picture that you're meant to have in your mind as you read through the book of Proverbs. It's a king... Hey, there you go, fantastic. Thank you so much. Leon was here this morning. <laughs> um, yeah, this is what Proverbs is. It's a king telling his son how life should be lived. And at this particular point in the son's life, he's, it looks like he's old enough to start pursuing a spouse. And so for the first nine chapters of Proverbs, uh, the king is telling his son the sort of woman that he, su he should pursue. He, gives, he tells him about two kinds of women. He tells him about Lady Wisdom, and he tells him about Lady Folly. And these are two kinds of, of women that the son could potentially pursue. If you flick over to, to chapter 9, um, there's actually a really helpful comparison of these two women and what they're like in this chapter, so we can get an idea of what the king is trying to say. If you're at chapter 9, this is what it says from verse 1. This is Lady Wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, 
Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the ways of insight. So that's what Lady Wisdom says. And then if you go down to verse 13, you see what Lady uh, Folly says. Verse 13, Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, on the seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass her by, who are straight, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. So you get this kind of contrasted picture of two ladies and they're both calling their victims to them. Well, in one case it's victims and in the other case um, it's people who get the privilege of spending time with Lady Wisdom. But you can see that even in reading that, the king's preferred choice for his son, the prince, is obviously Lady Wisdom. Uh, choosing her is, is, is choosing to trust in God. And choosing her means to trust in God with all of your heart and to lean not on your own understanding, as chapter 3 says. It's about pursuing wisdom, even though it might not seem right to you in the moment. Lady Folly, on the other hand, is a choice of cheap thrills. Uh, Lady Folly is choosing instant gratification that looks pleasing in the moment, but ultimately it leads to a bad life, and inevitably it leads to death. Chapter 7 says that, Going after Lady Folly is like a—it's like when you see a deer stepping into a trap when it's pursuing an easy meal. That's what it would be like to end up with Lady Folly. And so you get this story in the first nine chapters of a son of a father telling his son, "Do not pursue the wrong kind of wife." Um, and you have this tension when you get to the end of chapter nine: which son, which woman is this prince going to choose? Which woman is this prince going to choose? And then at the start of chapter 10, if you have a look at chapter 10, verse 1, it says the Proverbs of Solomon, and this is where you might think that all of the, um, that all of the stuff from the first nine chapters is left behind and we move on with just the Proverbs as we're familiar with them. There's kind of one sentence kind of puzzles that we're meant to work out. They tell us how to live. But we're not leaving the first nine chapters behind because chapter 10, verse 1 says, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. And so we're picking up on that son theme from the earlier chapters, and it carries on through the book. We're meant to remember that this is actually a book about a son and his choice. Is he going to choose wisdom, or is he going to choose folly? So as we keep reading, we're not meant to forget the opening chapters. Uh, the, as you read through the rest of the book, those opening chapters actually help us to make sense of a lot of the things that are happening, a lot of the wisdom that the Father gives. So if you have just a look at chapter 12, verse 4, it says in chapter 12, verse 4, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Notice that the thing about a king or the future prince isn't left behind. It says that a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. The narrator of the, the, the author of the book remembers that this is actually a story about a future king. And then if you go to chapter 18, verse 22, chapter 18, verse 22, it says, 
He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Proverbs 19.14 says, Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So the the book remembers that this is actually about a, a son whose parents are the king and queen, and houses and wealth are inherited from him, from them, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So as we read through the whole book, we're, we're left wondering, there's this dramatic tension in the whole book. Who is this son going to choose? Is he going to choose Lady Wisdom or is he going to choose Lady Folly? And then when we get to the very end of the book uh, that Sharon read for us before, we, we have this moment of, of just like, oh, thank goodness. Because you might not know this, but that poem that Shaz read for us, Proverbs 31, is actually the, it's the, the climax of the book. It's the moment where we're, remind, we're told the son has chosen Lady Wisdom to be his queen. Proverbs 31 describes the excellent wife, and we know that the prince has chosen well. He has chosen Lady Wisdom to be his queen. So there is this story that happens in the book. Uh, you might not have ever seen that before. I, I've only kind of become familiar with it lately, and I, I just think that that's really fascinating. One of the things that I think is really cool about this is that it shows you that Proverbs isn't just some kind of like isolated book of wisdom in the middle of the Bible that has nothing to do with the rest of the Bible. But this is tapping into themes and uh, motifs that happen the whole way through the Bible. The idea of a, a king and their son, and, and the idea of, of a, the choice between obedience or disobedience, the choice between wisdom or folly, these are all things that come up again and again in the Bible. If you remember back to Genesis in the beginning, you have Adam, and Adam is described as a prince. Uh, he's going to rule the land. Um, but instead of ruling well, he actually chooses to follow his wife into folly, into sin. And then also when you get to Jesus, Jesus is also described uh, as the son of a king. Jesus is the son of God. He is the true prince of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus comes along, rather than choosing folly, he actually lives perfectly obedient to his father's words. He follows everything that his father has told him to do, and he lives an obedient and a wise life, which leads to the cross. But when he goes to the cross, he is purchasing for himself a beautiful bride. Do you see how actually Proverbs isn't just some, like I said, some isolated book in the middle of the Bible that has nothing to do with the rest of it? This is actually a picture of the gospel for us. A son who chooses to be obedient to his father. And that's a very cool picture of that. Um, Let's have a closer look at Proverbs 31, which is what Sharon read for us before. The poem about a wife of noble character. Now, I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you read this poem. Um, I got to preach on this poem at a wedding earlier in the year, so that's what comes to my mind. I think a lot of people read this and they think, this looks like a ridiculously daunting task of things for a woman to do. <laughs> uh, and I think that that's exactly right. Uh, some of you might read this and feel guilty because you can't pull off all the things that this woman seemingly pulls off. And I think, again, yeah, fair enough, because it seems like it's, it's unimaginably, uh, there's a lot of things there. Um, but actually, what you're getting in these verses is you're getting a picture of wisdom that the whole book has been talking about you get to see it in personified form. This wife, Lady Wisdom, who this prince has chosen to marry, this wife is actually wisdom personified. 
She is living and breathing wisdom. It's almost like she's taken the whole book of Proverbs and she's gobbled it down and she's actually become a walking and breathing version of the Proverbs. She has become wisdom personified. Uh, we're going to have a read through these proverb, this, this poem again. Uh, it is a poem. You might not see it in your English Bibles. In the, in the ancient Hebrew, it's an acrostic poem, so it follows through the letters of the alphabet. But we're going to have a read through it again. And as we read through it, I want you to think about what you know of the Proverbs, uh, maybe from you know, a lifetime of learning the Proverbs or even just flicking through them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through it, and as I read through it, I want you to, to think about what other bits of the Proverbs it reminds you of. And then when I'm done reading, I'm going to ask you to start calling stuff out, like what are some of the things, the, other, the themes in the Proverbs and the topics in the Proverbs that this is tapping into. Okay, so this is like one of those interactive sermons where you actually have to participate. <laughs> okay, you ready for this? I'm going to read through the poem again, and then I'm going to ask for your responses. So Proverbs 31 from verse 10. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her whole family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps, grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hand to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So it's a nice poem about a cool woman. What does it remind us about from the rest of Proverbs? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's all those poems, there's all those proverbs about being lazy, um, but she's the opposite of that. She works hard with her hands, and that's said kind of a few times over. She's a diligent worker. What else does she do? She fears the Lord? Yeah. We'll come back to that in a second, but that's massive. It says, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. She fears the Lord, which is the heart of the Proverbs. To fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. She's generous. She's generous. 
Yeah, there's that proverb in there. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. That's a theme that comes up again and again in the Proverbs. She values wisdom. And yeah. Yeah, which is exactly what Lady Wisdom's like in the early chapters. She speaks wisdom. She values wisdom. Yeah, thanks. She's a businesswoman. Yeah. She's got a lot going on, doesn't she? It's like she's got 10 little businesses going on at once. Um, yeah, but that means she works hard. She's diligent. Yeah, trade. She's not idle. Her candle is burning late into the night. She plans ahead. The one that I think is amazing is she laughs at the days to come. <laughs> it's like, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else? Mm. Yeah. And earlier in Proverbs, it says that you should pursue wisdom because they're more precious than rubies. And then here in this part of the proverb, it says that this woman is more precious than rubies. It's because she is wisdom. She is the embodiment of wisdom. We got any more? I know you're all just busting to tell me. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, her husband is respected because of that, which is a theme that comes up again and again in the proverbs too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she's good with her words and she doesn't say bad things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's well said. So what you see in this, like I was saying before, what you see in this final part of the Proverbs is you see that this woman is, is the embodiment of all the Proverbs. It's basically saying, if you want to live out this book, this, this is what it should look like. And you look at that, and you, you read through this, this poem, and you, you probably think to yourself, it's, it's more like, it's like something to aim for. Uh, it's more ideal than actual. And I think that's true. I think that it's probably difficult to actually live all of this stuff out at once. But this is an aspiration. To live a wise life will look like this. Uh, which I think is, is really amazing. Just a couple of things um, about Lady Wisdom or the wife of noble character before we wrap up. The first thing is that her greatest message, as Grace said before, is the fear of the Lord. The book starts, Proverbs starts, verse 7 of chapter 1, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom begins. And then 19 times, through the 31 chapters of Proverbs, we're reminded that the fear of the Lord is what is true wisdom. True wisdom is caught up in the fear of the Lord. And then in this final poem, the very final thing that is said about this woman is that she, it says, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, a woman who fears the Lord is greatly to be praised. The fear of the Lord is the thing that is put on a pedestal in this poem, in, in this book, as the thing that we should all be pursuing if we're looking to live a wise life. Now, the fear of the Lord, it's an expression that's used in, in all of the wisdom books. Uh, and it, it means, basically, it means to treat God as God. It means to, uh, to fear Him is to help, have a healthy respect for who He is 
and who we are in relationship to him. It's a recognition that he is the creator, he is the author, he is the sustainer, and ultimately he is the judge, and we are his creation, who has willingly chosen to disobey him. This is what it means to fear the Lord. It's a recognition of who God really is and who we are. So there is actually some fear wrapped up in it. Because there is a recognition that he is the, he's the creator, sustainer, and author of all things. And we are just part of his creation who has willfully disobeyed him. But it's, it's mostly about just recognizing the relationship that we have with God. He's ultimate and we are finite. And it's like I said, it's the beginning of wisdom. To fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The first step on a journey will determine the value of all the other steps in that journey. Uh, I often, Mia tells me that I have the habit of we don't know where we're going as soon as we get in the car, but I just drive um, and I'm like, I'll work it out. You know, you can type it into Google Maps and I'll work it out later. Um, which means that sometimes we're heading in the exact opposite direction of the way that we want to go. Uh, and that's just me and my wisdom doing that. Uh, but it, it's, it's a helpful reminder that if you want to track your journey towards something, you should walk in the way of that. So the way that you're beginning, it determines the value of the rest of your steps. If you don't begin well, then you're not headed in the right direction. So we're told that it's the beginning of wisdom to fear the Lord. And I think it's a, it's a helpful thing for us to remember on the 29th of December, uh, because we're about to begin a new year. Now, I know that days are arbitrary, and January 1st is is just another day, just like tomorrow is another day, and like today was a new day, and all moments are new moments, and all days are new days. But I do think there is something helpful about starting a new year, because when you start a new year, you get a chance to, to reflect on the way that your life has been going, to take stock, and to plan ahead. And I think as we do that, one of the questions that we should ask ourselves is, am I fearing the Lord? Do I have a healthy recognition of who God is and who I am, and am I living in light of that? That is what it means to live a wise life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so you should ask yourself, as this new year starts, as this service ends, as tomorrow comes, you should ask yourself the question, am I treating God as God and myself as his servant and his creation? Am I living for him or am I living for myself? Going into the new year, what's your top priority? Maybe you're, you're somebody who writes New Year's resolutions. I'm a big fan of writing New Year's resolutions, and I do it every year. Um, I, it's a fun task, if nothing else. But like when you do that, maybe you think to yourself, I want to achieve something in my career, something in my personal life, something in my fitness goals, or something like that. Do you ask yourself the question what you want to achieve in your relationship with God? Are you going to fear Him as the creator of all things and recognize your relationship, your, yourself in relationship to Him? Proverbs encourages us and Lady Wisdom encourages us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so as you begin this new year, I would encourage you to think about the way that you are fearing God in your life. So that's just the first thing that I wanted to say about uh, Lady Wisdom. The second thing that I wanted to say about Lady Wisdom that I've found really interesting in reading about her and uh, Proverbs and the way that Proverbs fits together is to recognize that Lady Wisdom is, is Lady Wisdom and she's not male wisdom, um, which I think is really interesting. 
Lady Wisdom, wisdom it might surprise you to know, but it probably doesn't, is, is a woman. She's not a man. I think that that's really important because God could have chosen to characterize wisdom as a man, but he didn't. He chose to characterize wisdom and to personify wisdom in a woman, in lady wisdom, in a wife. Now, I think firstly, this is interesting for all those people who will um, shoot down the Bible and shoot down Christianity and say that it's all patriarchal and it's misogynistic and God hates women and the church hates women. And I think, uh, have a look at Lady Wisdom. She's put on a pedestal. She's held up by all to be admired. She's not just an example for men, for women. She's also an example for men. We're all meant to be looking at her and thinking, how can I become more like this woman? So I think it's a lesson for us in that regard. But I also think it's interesting to think about exactly why, or to, to just ponder the question, why do you think God chose to characterize wisdom as a woman? Why did God choose to do that? Like I said, he could have made it a man. He could have made it an object. He chose to characterize wisdom as a woman. Especially when, after all, there is actually nothing effeminate about wisdom. There's nothing particularly uh, female about wisdom. You think about Jesus himself. You know, Jesus, like I said before, he is the person who lived a truly wise life. He's the only person who ever has. But he wasn't a woman. He was a man. So there's nothing effeminate in itself about wisdom. But God still chose to characterize wisdom as a woman. And I, I've been thinking about this for, for a while, about why that might be. And I, I've got a thought, and I'm willing to uh, share it with you, and maybe we can chat about it afterwards. But I think it might be because wisdom, true wisdom, is about the fear of the Lord. And I think that might come more naturally to women than it does to men. I think. Um, I think if you just look at statistics, it's much more likely that a woman will attend church or be a Christian than a man, statistically. Um, in, churches in Australia are filled with more women than they're filled with men. It's not 50-50, it's probably more like 65-35. Um, I think that that might be because men have this tendency to want to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, masters of their own destiny. Um, we might just sum it down to say that men like to rely on themselves. When they, when, rather than recognizing who God is and who they are in relationship to him, they kind of want themselves to be God. Now, I'm not saying that women might not, don't have this tendency as well, but I am saying, as a man who has the self I have the experience of being a man, uh, it, it, 29 years of it, um, I, my tendency is to want to be self-reliant uh, and to want to control my own life and to control what I do and what I say and not let somebody else do that for me. I think that there is something, um, there's something in that. It's, it's about humility, I think. It seems like it's more natural for women to be humble and to fear the Lord. I'm not saying it's natural, it's just more likely. Uh, but men, on the other hand, tend to be self-sufficient, want to be in control, master of their own destiny. But the gospel requires us to be humble. The, Jesus requires us, to, in order to be a Christian, it requires you to be humble. 
Because what you're saying when you're a Christian is that I'm not relying on my own deeds, I'm not relying on my own works, I'm relying on Jesus' work on my behalf so that I can be saved through what he has done for me. Nothing of my own works. You don't contribute anything to salvation. And I think that's sometimes hard to swallow. But that is what it means to be a Christian. Proverbs knows that pride comes before the fall. Proverbs also says that the Lord mocks the proud. He mocks, prou- he mocks the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So I think this is actually a challenge for all of us. Maybe men especially, um, but I think, like I said before, I think women also have this tendency to be proud as well. And I think that when we look at Lady Wisdom, she's a challenge to all of us. We should pursue the fear of the Lord above all else. It might mean swallowing her humble pill from time to time. But if we are going to follow Jesus, we cannot rely on ourselves. We have to rely on him. Uh, Because Jesus is our ultimate example of wisdom, and he's our ultimate example of humility, I thought it would be fitting uh, to read to you from Philippians chapter 2 as we closed. Um, So we we might read this as a prayer just in closing. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, you have told us that in our relationships with one another, we should have the same mindset as our Lord Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God, you exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Help us to follow in his example. Amen.